Wow, I don't know that I've ever seen an angry baker. Uh, but that's pretty good. I'll be here for that. He, he scared me into coming. Uh, come on up, my scripture reader, Miss Swartenberry. What are you, about a junior now? Not junior high, junior high school, right? How old are you? 17. 17, you're driving and all that kind of good stuff. Has your dad bought you a new car? Uh, yes. Yeah, yes? No? Two? Oh, used, he said. I thought he said two. I thought I got to get in on this family here. I don't know what's going on. Well, look, th- thank you for being one of our strong young people. And appreciate you very much, and thank you for reading for us today. John 6, 60-63. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, Does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. Thank you, sister. Larry, come on up, bro. Let's pray over this guy. My favorite part. Good to have you, bro. Father, we love you. Thank you for the day. I pray you use our brother mightily today as he shares from your word that you receive glory and honor in all things. We look forward today. We're all together in heaven. But between now and then, just give us the uh, wisdom and strength to reach as many people as possible with the good news of Jesus. In his name, with the help of the Spirit, we pray. And the church said, Amen. 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 Love you so much. Thank you. Kathy and I are so privileged uh, to be back. I'm on. I am on. I've got the green light. I haven't got the green light yet, but it's the green light. Hello. Testing one, two. Okay, I don't know if you notice this or not, but every time uh, uh, Larry is here, the system mixes. So I don't know if, uh, let's see right here. You're on here. You want to just use this one right here? Yeah, I can. Is that all right? Jack gave me this double thing for the stage diving and crowd surfing. Yeah. So it doesn't come off. Well, take it. Either way. All right, he's coming. The rabbi is coming. <laughs> the rabbi. He's going to lay hands he's on something. He's going to lay hands on something. Okay. He's going to lay hands on something. I don't know what. Yeah. All right. You know what? Test one, two. Check, check. Let me go down and see. Okay. I tell you what, here. Take this. Okay, he's going to unplug. Yeah, take that off because yeah. if it starts working in the middle here. Yeah, that wouldn't be good. Then we'd have. There we go. I'll put that in. Okay, all right. Don't worry. That's only 15 minutes of your sermon. Oh, uh, my goodness. So well, that's okay. Yeah, go ahead and turn to page five yeah. because <laughs> I see a whole notebook here. <laughs> oh, you, they're on to me. They're on to me. Um. Kathy and I have don't have words to express how much you mean to us. Um, we were here in August, and we've been, of course, back and forth overseas. And 
the way that you love us, the way you reach out, the way you pray for us here in this room, in the fellowship center. I got to speak in there Friday. I met some people in Phil's class this morning who from Massachusetts, they're live streamers. I know them. They know me. Uh, and it's just a, it's an amazing, amazing thing. Uh, there are people watching right now in Athens. Javad and Julie are watching in Athens. I've got people, a, a precious brother, watching in Memphis, Tennessee this morning. I've got a precious brother, uh, Alan Stacy, watching from Tulsa, Oklahoma. All of them have written me in the last two days saying, we're praying for you. That what would come out of your mouth would be what Jesus wants to say. And they know two things about me. They know how weak I am. And how powerful Jesus Christ is. I uh, imagine that many of you in this room are planning holiday events. Imagine you're planning a big, big holiday get-together. And literally everybody that you know is coming to your house to this massive party because you've invited every person you know. Because you have invited Five very famous, very special people to come to your home. And you've even sent out invitations and you've put the pictures of these five famous peoples on the invitation. And so they're going to be lining up. They're going to be tracing through your living room, trying to get a chance to talk to these five very special guests. Who are these guests? You've invited these guys. Okay, and so they'll get this in the mail, and it's like, you're telling me that the incarnation's coming to your house. Oh, yeah, yeah, Bethlehem is going to be a heavenly host. Beverly will be there with her crown on. It's going to be amazing. They're going to be trying to talk to them. You're telling me that the old rugged cross, the crucifixion of Christ, is coming to your house. Oh, yeah, it's going to be amazing. Resurrection? Is coming to your house. It's going to be in my living room. The stone is rolled away. Yes, it'll be out in the front yard because there's too many people in the living room. But then the, you're telling me that the day of the Lord, eschatology, is coming. The return. And so you have this party and you're walking into the party and you see everybody lining up to talk to all of these famous people. And over at the end of the couch, there's the ascension kind of sitting there by himself. And somebody walks up and goes, I, I, wait, don't tell me, don't tell me, you're, you're, you're the great commission. And he says, no, that's, that's Matthew 28, I'm Luke 24. There are three major events in the life of Christ which get an awful lot of a, attention. That's his birth, his death. And his resurrection. We have very widely recognized holidays. We even have Christmas, which we're in the midst of. We have Good Friday. We have Easter. Government offices shut down. And it's a huge deal. You can go into a Hallmark greeting card store, into your local pharmacy, Walgreens, or whatever, and you can find a card for Easter. You can find a card for Good Sunday. But you know what you're not going to find? An ascension card. I've looked. We'll begin this morning by reading two short passages of Scripture. There are only two direct accounts of the ascension in all of Scripture, detailing the event of the ascension, and Luke gives us both 
of them. The first from Luke chapter 24, the second from Acts chapter 1, at the very close of his first volume, the Gospel of Luke, and at the beginning of his second volume, the Acts of the Apostles. All of these scriptures, we're going to go through a lot of scripture this morning, and all of it's going to be on the screen for you. Luke 24, starting in verse 44, he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. And then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what's written. The Messiah will suffer. He will rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and I'm going to send you what my father has promised. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. And when he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted his hands And he blessed them, and while he is blessing them, he left them and is taken up into heaven. And then they worshipped him. And they returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they stayed continually at the temple praising God. Acts chapter 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. I want you to see the word began. Until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them... He gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father has promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then they gathered around him and they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after this, he was taken up before their eyes and a cloud hid them hid him from their sight and they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going and suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them and said men of Galilee why do you stand there looking up into the sky the same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven And then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, about a Sabbath day's walk from the city. Thanks be to God for his word. Jesus came visibly into this world on a set and appointed day. He was crucified visibly on a set and appointed day. He resurrected visibly on a set and appointed day. He ascended visibly on a set and appointed day. And he will return visibly on a set and appointed day. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, 
Speak to us today. Show us your glory. Show us your majesty. Let no other voice be heard but yours today. And we pray this in your precious name, your ascended name, Jesus. Amen. I may not be able to find an ascension card, but the ascension is not less important than the other elements of the gospel. In fact, I intend to say that the ascension is critical to the power of every other element of the gospel. And here's why. The ascension is the visible enthronement of the incarnate, crucified, resurrected, victorious, glorified person of Jesus Christ, both physically and spiritually. The ascension is the visible fulfillment, the final, once-for-all completion of everything the incarnation, crucifixion, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus achieved and everything it was intended to achieve by the power of God to the glory of God. Colossians 1, starting in verse 19, For God Himself was pleased to have all of His fullness dwell in the person of Jesus Christ, and through Him to reconcile to himself all things, all things, things on earth, things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God, you were enemies in your mind because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in His sight without blemish and free of accusation. But keep reading verse 24. This is the gospel that you have heard, and look at this, that has been. Do you see the past tense? The gospel has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. How has it been proclaimed? Because I thought that was our job. How has the gospel already been proclaimed to every creature? It is by Jesus' visible enthronement as King of kings and Lord of lords. So that no man is, is without, without excuse. All men know of God. This is what Paul's talking about in Romans 1. The ascension is the visible declaration that Jesus Christ has ascended to the throne. The ascension is not about a change of physical location. He was here and now he's there. It's not like this flight of stairs. The throne of England is in Westminster Abbey. Okay, and it sets up a flight of stairs and it's actual chair sitting there. I could go there and run up the chair, the stairs and sit in that chair. I'd be tackled by security, but that's not ascending to the throne. I have not ascended to the throne. If I was to ascend to the throne, it would change my relationship, not only with the people of England, but with the country, with the Commonwealth, with the UK, and with the world. I would ascend to a position that is on the throne. The ascension is the visible coronation of Jesus Christ ascending, being seated in the highest place of all authority. Ephesians 1, starting in verse 21, He has been seated far above all rule and authority, power, dominion, and every name, 
every name that is invoked, not only in this present age, but in the age to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything. The ascension is the divine proclamation, Philippians 2, starting in verse 9, that God has exalted him to the highest place. And he has given him the name that is above every other name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Do you realize what that just said? Jesus has been given a name by God post Incarnation, post-crucifixion, post-resurrection, post-ascension, now in his exaltation, a name, the name that is above every other name, that now there is no higher name than the ascended name of Jesus Christ. Amen. The ascension is the visible fulfillment of Daniel 7. The Son of Man prophecy that Jesus invokes that title 106 times in Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Daniel 7, starting in verse 13, Jesus, uh, Daniel says, in my vision, I look and there before me is one like a son of man. How is he coming on the clouds of heaven? He approached the ancient of days. He's led into his presence. To him is given authority, glory, sovereign power, all nations, all people, every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. His kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. The ascension is the visible fulfillment of Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. For unto us a child is born, a son is given, the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on. From what time on? From his enthronement. From his glorification. Forevermore, how's this going to happen? The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. The ascension is the visible fulfillment of the Psalms, the messianic prophecies, the enthronement prophecies, specifically Psalm 24, 47, 68, 110. Look at this, Psalm 24. Lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle, lift up your heads, you gates, lift them up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is he? Who is this king of glory? The Lord Almighty, he is the king of glory. Psalm 48 or 47, God has ascended amid shouts of joy. The Lord amid the sounding of trumpets, his praises to God. Sing praises to our king. Sing praises for God is the king of the earth. Sing to him the praise. God reigns over the nation. God is seated 
on his throne. Psalm 68, sing to God, sing in praise in his name, extol him who who rides on the clouds. Rejoice before him. His name is the Lord. Psalm 110, 1 and 2. The Lord said to my Lord. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool to your feet. The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion, saying, Rule in the midst of your enemies. Verses 5 and 6, The Lord is at your right hand. He will crush kings on the day of His wrath. He will judge the nations, heaping up the dead and crushing the rulers of the whole earth. Who is this King of glory? Does this sound like God Jr. to you? This is the King of Kings. The ascension of Christ, the visible ascension of Christ on the clouds of heaven, in the clouds of glory, that establishes, listen to this, the position from which He will return. Not only descending from the throne of God physically, but descending authoritatively, in wrath and in judgment and in consummation of all things, all of heaven and all the earth, Christ descended from His heavenly glory in order to bring God to humanity. The Word became flesh. And He ascended in the flesh, in His physical human body, To His throne of glory to bring humanity to God. Do you understand that right now, there is a glorified human being living outside of time and space? Do you understand right now there is a glorified human being, the king of all kings, sovereignly ruling over all creation in heaven and in earth? And that we are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms, Ephesians 2 and verse 6. God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms with Jesus Christ. Are you in Jesus Christ? Where is He? He's in heaven at the right hand of majesty. Where is He? He is here. He is everywhere. He is blasted into the entire universe. He is over all things. That's who this is. Who is this King of glory? This is God Almighty. This is God in the flesh. And He is returning in the same way. That he left in the flesh. Revelation chapter 19, starting in verse 11. John says, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice, he judges and he wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. And he has a name on him that nobody knows except him. We don't know what that name is, but we cannot wait to find out. Do you understand the name that is above every name is written on him? Revelation 19, 15, coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword, which he will strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. That's a quotation from Psalm 2 and verse 9. He treads the winepress of his fury of wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has this name, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The ascension is the detonator. 
if you will, for everything Jesus Christ did. The ascension is that which takes everything Jesus Christ was and did, his incarnation, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and releases it explosively into all of the universe like a gospel bomb. Do you understand this word? This word power, I want to look quickly at what this word power means. It, it, Jesus uses it twice here as he is leaving. Luke 24 and verse 49, you're going to be clothed with power. You are going to receive in Acts 1 and verse 8, power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. This Greek word is called dunamis. And it's used 120 times in the New Testament. And it refers to strength or power or ability. It's almost also the root word of our English words, dynamite, explosive. It's our, our root word of dynamo, unstoppable. It's a root word of dynamic, meaning dominating in any given situation. The gates of hell will not prevail. About this. Luke 8, verse 46, this woman has got this issue of bleeding and she jumps and slaps at the hem of the garment that Jesus is wearing and he says, Who's, who touched me? And they're like, what do you mean? There's thousands of people around. He said, no, I saw, I felt dunamis go out of me. That's that same word. In Luke 1, 35, the angel comes and says, Mary, you're going to have a child. The Holy Spirit is going to come upon you, and the power, the dunamis of the Most High is going to overshadow you, and the Son will be called Holy, the Son of God. Second Corinthians 4, Paul says, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this dunamis has nothing to do with us and everything to do with God. And in 2 Corinthians 12, Paul says that Jesus says, my grace is sufficient for you and my dunamis, Paul, is made perfect in your weakness. The weaker you are, the more powerful I am. When we decide that we have nothing before God, that's when his power His dunamis explodes within us. The ascension is detonated. The explosive power of the cross, the explosive power of the resurrection, and it has blasted it into the universe. The enthronement and the exaltation of Jesus, his ascent to the throne of all glory, all honor, all power, all praise forever and ever. And his disciples had a really difficult time understanding the implications of the ascension. The transfiguration is probably the best example of this. Transfiguration is mentioned in Matthew 17, Mark 9, and also in Luke 9. Such an incredibly cosmic event in all three of these accounts, we hear the audible voice of God the Father coming from This Shekinah glory, this cloud of glory and engulfing Jesus Christ. And he says, this is my son. This is my chosen one. This is the one you need to listen to. But in Luke, he gives us a very revealing detail about what is actually happening in that moment. Luke Verse uh, chapter 9, 30 and 31, there's two men, Moses and Elijah. They appeared in glorious splendor and they're talking with Jesus. And then in verse 31, Luke gives us 
the clue as to what they're talking about. They're talking to Jesus about his departure. The Greek word is exodus, his ascension. They're not talking about the cross. They're not talking about the resurrection. They're talking about his ascension, his glorification, his exaltation. The glory of Jesus Christ is not at all how the disciples understood everything happening in that upper room on that Thursday night at the Last Supper. Jesus is is desperately trying to get them to understand John 16 and verse 7. I'm trying to tell you that it is for your benefit that I go away. Unless I go away, none of this is going to happen. If I go away, you're going to be overshadowed. And empowered by the Holy Spirit. You're going to be clothed with power from on high. In a little while you won't see me, but then you will see me. I will come to you. I will show myself to you. I will manifest myself to you. I'm going to manifest my life in you because I live. You are going to live. My life is going to become your life. And they didn't get it. Even in the 40-day period after his resurrection, they witness Jesus alive. They see him. They hear him speak. They still do not get it. Do you remember when Mary grabs hold of Jesus in Luke 24? I mean, in John 20. uh, And and he grabs, and, and literally, what does Jesus say? He says, don't hold on to me. And you're like, well, that's weird. And what did he say? Because I've not yet ascended. Instead, he said, go tell Not that I've risen from the dead. Go tell them that I am ascending. This is John 20, verse 17. Why is he saying that? Don't Mary, don't touch me. I mean, is he taboo or you'll melt or there's something weird? You can't touch him because he hadn't ascended. Is there something about Jesus? You can't touch him. We know that's not true because in Luke 24 and Matthew 28, you see the women grab hold of him and they're fine. He's fine with that. In fact, in John 20, Thomas, he said, Tom, touch me. Put your hands on me. Put your side right here. Give me. I'm touch me. Feel me. I'm not a ghost. You got anything to eat? I'll eat it in front of you. So that can't be it. What is he trying to say to Mary? He's saying, Mary, you don't understand. You're afraid to let me go because if you feel like if you let me go you'll lose me forever Mary if you let me go if you let me ascend you'll never be able to lose me again Mary if I stay here I'm going to have to be in one spot and at one point in time but Mary listen if I ascend they will never ever be able to take me from you they could chain you up They could lock you in the darkest dungeon, put bars on the doors, and I'm going to be closer to you than I've ever been before. Mary, if I ascend, then everything I am right now is going to be released in glory throughout the universe. Mary, in fact, a few days from now, I'm going to become even more glorious. The ascension actually does the opposite of what the disciples thought it would do. The ascension is not the absence of Christ. It is the increased and intensified presence of Christ. The ascension is not the loss of his leadership, his intimacy and protection, but the infinite magnification of it. 
The reason so many people totally misunderstand the ministry and mission of the Holy Spirit is because they have no concept of the implications of the ascension, the enthronement of Christ. In that upper room, John 16, Jesus tells us exactly, the Holy Spirit will glorify me. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and declaring it to you, making it known to you. His ministry is to reveal and glorify Jesus Christ to you and me. But that's a sermon for another time. Not only is it true that the ascension actually detonates everything else that Jesus does and applies it to us for all time in every age for all who will believe in him, but it is also spiritually true that unless you allow yourself to have a faith sight of Jesus Christ ascended, enthroned, glorified, seated at the right hand of majesty on high, we can never fully understand or even grasp the power of the gospel. Paul says, I pray that you may have the dunamis, the power, the ability to grasp how high, how deep, how long, how wide the glory The love of God that we find in in Jesus Christ, the glory of God in Jesus. When I'm talking about a faith sight, what am I trying to describe? I think of of Stephen in Acts chapter 7, and he's being stoned to death. And he stands up and he looks up and he says, "I, I, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of the throne of God. And the fact that he is actually being stoned to death almost seems secondary in the text. It's like, well, oh, yeah, I forgot I'm being stoned to death. But look, there's Jesus, and I see him standing at the right hand of the throne of God. And so you have that. And then there's a second thing, that Jesus is standing. Everywhere else in Scripture, Jesus is what? Seated. Meaning that it is finished. What he cried out on the cross, Tetelesti in Greek. It's finished. It's completed. The work is done. Everything at the cross. Everything done at the resurrection. The forgiveness of sin. Substitutionary atonement. Death is defeated. Jesus is seated. It's done. However, in this post-ascension account that Luke gives us, Jesus is standing. It's not finished. His work as prophet, his work as priest, his work as king is not finished. He is still teaching. He is still advocating for you and me at the very throne of God. He is the king of glory. He is ruling over the universe, and he will stand up for you if you will stand up for him. What is a faith sight? Here's Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus. Acts 9, he gets a literal faith sight assault from Jesus and goes blind for three days because he has had an encounter with the glorified person of Jesus Christ. As I said earlier, Jesus' post-ascension glory is more glorious than his post-resurrection glory. How does the glory of God become more glorious? I don't know. But it does, because we see the Apostle John in Revelation 1, he gets a faith sight of this glorified Jesus. Revelation 1, 7 and 8, he says, look, coming on the clouds, 
Okay, every eye will see them, even those who pierce them. All the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. Did you know that in that one sentence, there's three Old Testament prophecies, one from Daniel 7, two from Zechariah 12. Amen. So shall it be. And he says, I'm the Alpha. I'm the Omega who was, who is, and who is to come, the Almighty and then in verse 13, I looked and I saw someone like a son of man, Daniel 7:13, dressed in a robe, reaching down with a golden sash around his chest. His hair is white. His eyes are blazing. His feet are like bronze glowing in a furnace. His voice is like a waterfall. At his right hand, he's got seven stars and coming out of his mouth is this double-edged, sharp sword. His face is shining like the sun. And John says, when I saw him, I fell to the ground like a dead man. He's unbearable in his glory. He lives in unapproachable light. And then in that same moment, he says, he put his hand on me and said, don't be afraid. He said, don't be afraid. It is I. I'm the first. I'm the last. I'm the living when I was dead. And now look, I'm alive forever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades in my hand. Unless we allow ourselves to have a faith sight of Jesus Christ ascended, enthroned, glorified, seated at the right hand of majesty on high, we will never understand the power of the gospel. The gospel bomb will never go off for you. If you think that this is God Jr., if you think you're too far gone, He can't come to you and find you and save you, if you think He can't rip through every wall you've ever built around your mind and your heart, you're missing the point. You'll forever be standing there looking into the sky just like the disciples were in Acts 1. And the angels said, that's utterly inappropriate. And the angels ask him, why, why do you stand there looking in the sky? And to you and me, the question, I mean, the answer is kind of obvious. They're like, duh, did you not just see what happened? And that's the angel's whole point. They just witnessed a miraculous, spectacular event, but they completely missed what it meant. This is the enthronement of God Almighty. And that's exactly how we treat the ascension in Scripture Nobody's lining up to talk to the Ascension at the party. Acts chapter 1, verse 6 and 8. Uh, Did you notice this? They gathered around Jesus and they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And they're thinking, no, this is political. This is Jewish. And what does he say to them? No, this is not about you knowing when the Father has set an appointed date for my return. What you are going to do is you're going to receive power and you're going to go out and you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to be uh, to, to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. And they say, Jesus, when will you? And Jesus is like, oh, no, 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 no. Will you? When are you? going to stand up? When are you going to go out and proclaim? You're going to be the proclaimers. The time of speculation is over. We are called to be witnesses, not speculators about Jesus' return. I know I'm on thin ice, but can I push you a little farther this morning? Matthew, you know, the, the, the place in Scripture where Jesus says that John the Baptist is the greatest prophet in the history of the world? This is Matthew 11, 11. 
Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, there's not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. That's a pretty big group, wouldn't you think? That's pretty much everybody that's ever walked the planet. Yet, whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist. Wow. I mean, that might mean several things, but it's got to mean at least, at least mean this. Even if you're the weakest Christian. I mean, somewhere, somebody has got to be the weakest, the least in the kingdom of heaven. I'm thinking it's probably me. Jesus says it doesn't matter. You're still a greater prophet than John the Baptist. Why? I'm going to tell you why. Because when Jesus Christ resurrected Luke 24, what's the first thing he did? He opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. He continually opened their minds to Scripture. This was the gospel. He took them to Scripture. He opened it. And he said, hey, y'all, all of this, every single word of it is about me. The whole thing is about me. In Luke 24, he did the same thing on the road to Emmaus. The two guys he encountered, beginning with Moses, all the law, all the prophets. He explained to them in a seven-mile stretch of road, every shadow, every scripture, every idiom, everything that pertained to him contained in scripture. For 40 days, he did nothing But show them what John the Baptist didn't know, what nobody knows, until the prophetic teaching ministry of Jesus Christ comes on you from the throne of glory through the power of the Holy Spirit. He is opening your mind so that you can understand the scriptures. And there's exactly what he said in John 6, 45. It is written in the prophets. They will all be taught by God. We can't approach this in a human way like we approach math or science or subjects. This is not education. This is revelation. By the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus is still proclaiming this truth. Prophet, priest, and king. And it's what should be happening every time you and I open our Bibles. We open our hearts and our minds to the Word of God. Ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Will I offer myself as a willing student with a teachable spirit every single day? John 16, verse 12. I have so much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all this truth. He will not speak on his own. He will only speak what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he is going to make known to you. Here is the real mystery. When we speak his words and not our own, as his witnesses, he speaks through us and people hear his voice and not ours. And that's what that empty chair is about. Matthew 10. When they arrest you, don't worry about what you're going to say or how you're going to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say. It will not be you speaking. It'll be the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Paul says, pray for me that whenever I open my mouth, what comes out, words may be given me that I may fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. From His glorious throne... Jesus Christ stands, raises his scepter, 
And a fisherman named Simon Peter stands up. Acts 2. Opens his mouth, and on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people hear the voice of Jesus Christ. They are cut to the heart and baptized that day. Jesus Christ stands and raises his scepter, and Stephen, Acts 6 and 7, preaches a sermon that sets Jerusalem on fire, a sermon that results in the gospel being spread all over the known world. And Stephen, seeing Jesus in the fullness of his enthroned glory, standing at the right hand of majesty, he gives his life as a witness, not as a speculator. Jesus stands and raises his scepter in a murderous freight train of destruction by the name of Saul of Tarsus. In Acts chapter 9 is stricken blind for three days as a result of this encounter. Jesus changes his name to Paul the Apostle and shows him how much he will suffer for the name. And uses Paul to turn the world upside down. Jesus stands and raises his scepter, 1947. And a Fuller Brush Company door-to-door salesman from North Carolina named Billy Graham preaches the gospel worldwide to millions and millions over a new thing called television. Jesus stands and raises his scepter, 1975. And a 28-year-old duck maker named Phil Robertson is empowered to boldly proclaim the gospel and baptize thousands into Christ. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. And Jesus says, go. Therefore, just go. Make disciples because I'm going to be with you always to the end of the age, Matthew 28. Just go. Use my words, I'll do all the talking. Just go be my witnesses, and I am always with you. And Jesus does it every single day. At the grocery store, He does it at school, He does it in the workplace. Anywhere and everywhere that any one of His witnesses will stand and proclaim the gospel, speaking the name that is above every other name, Jesus Christ Himself from His glorious throne stands and raises His scepter and speaks through that faithful witness. Jesus is still standing. Jesus is still working. Jesus is still speaking. He is teaching. He's seeking. He's saving. He's advocating. He is building His church. He's building His kingdom. He is sovereignly ruling over all of the universe. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Say it with me. Come, Lord Jesus. King of kings, Lord of lords, the Spirit and the bride say, Come, if we can help you see clearer the glory of Jesus Christ this morning, would you please come as we stand?